Coming at you from the Steel City, you're listening to Poor Man's Podcast, Pittsburgh's premier comedy podcast. Your weekly dose of humor hosted by Chris Hopper and with a new special guest each week. And here's your host, Chris Hopper. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Poor Man's Podcast, Sports Extra, the first one, the first official one of the of the new NFL season, and I'm here with sports guy JP. JP, how are you doing this season? Uh, I'm good. Um, week one's in the books, and I'm excited to uh, you know discuss what's going on so far. Already, uh, Steelers better than what I expect them to be uh, exiting this weekend. Like I said last week, you know, it's the, the the week one unknown. I think you know the blitz packages, uh, offensive coordinator from new mobileish quarterback. You know, there was a lot of unknown that I think benefited Pittsburgh this week. Yeah, that it was like kind of what you saw last year when the Steelers played the Bills uh, in the opening week. You you can kind of see uh, upsets like that when the teams aren't ready, and then uh, you see Cincinnati not playing hardly any of their starters in the preseason. Uh, maybe there's a little rust that they had to shake off. I saw that as a common theme throughout all of the NFL this week. Um, you saw the, the pressure that like Derek Carr was facing from Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Um, even Tom Brady didn't look comfortable in the pocket in Tampa. Um, D- Dak Prescott, you know, uh, there's a lot of guys, and especially the offensive line that I think struggled the most. A lot of quarterbacks were suffering just because there was not much unison going on from their protection. I think a lot of that is due to, you know, the lack of preseason. Yeah. And the the Bengals offense, I guess, would we'd say look the rustiest to begin. I don't know if there could be a better starting sequence for uh, a defense starting the season than a sack and then an interception return for a touchdown. Yeah, absolutely. And that seemed to set the tone throughout the game. Um, and I, I mean, the defense won that game for Pittsburgh, plain and simple. Absolutely. I mean, if, if you look at the offense, the offense production, it just it was lagging compared to what the defense put out. And I, I think in the entire game, that the defense was incredible. Hopefully, the Watt injury. We'll get back to that in a second. But Minka Fitzpatrick, he looked all pro. He looked like he was worth every dollar they uh, they gave him. Yeah, um, yeah, Micah Fitzpatrick, I think, was the sole reason for that victory. Um, in, in addition to absolutely the pass rush and the seven sacks that they got after Burrow in. Um, but Fitzpatrick set the tone early with that pick six. Um, Steelers, in that in, on that play, they're running a, a Tampa 2 look, and Miles Jack was able to run deep down the center field, which forced Tyler Boyd to break to the outside and Fitzpatrick was right there to jump the route and take it back to the house. And I mean, that's, that's set the tone early and throughout the game. I was listening. I didn't get home until like, I don't know, five minutes into the first quarter when the Steelers were already up and I heard it on the radio. I was listening to the Bill Hillgrove call and it was, he said something. I mean, the first play was the sack. And then on the second play, he was describing it and said interception by Micah Fitzpatrick, the 30 or whatever it was. And then it was like touchdown, and I was like, "That sounds like he didn't put. They didn't put up much of a fight on the return." And then when I saw the replay, it was he jumped around, and there was just Greenfield in front of him. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, the most dangerous guy on the defensive side of the ball to have a football in his hands. Mick Fitzpatrick was able just to see daylight from the get-go. And, I mean, no, no one on that field outside of, like, Jamar Chase is going to run him down. Uh, Pittsburgh is definitely used to seeing some all-pro safeties over the last year with, you know, over the few years with Troy Polamalu. Uh, Fitzpatrick kind of reminds me of almost like an Ed Reed, though, kind of playing that center fielder when he can play it, when the the linebackers are keeping some of the guys off him and the pass rush is there. When he's just playing center field, I don't know of another safety right now who, you know, with the ball in his hands can take it the other way. Hopefully, and that's one thing I was attesting to all offseason was when they re-signed him, I saw the price they got him at, which I thought was relatively cheap to what I was expecting. And I, it seems like I say all the time in today's NFL, safeties are more of like a luxury and a necessity. But Fitzpatrick, when he is in coverage, you not happen to be the Steelers' fifth linebacker. When he is able to sit back right. and play zone, he, he really is the best safety in the game, in my opinion. That's a great way of saying it, not having to be the fifth linebacker, because you saw that last year. Like, he, he was up making tackles, not being able to really play the pass cover, not play the deep center. Like, you always hear, you know, that safety, uh, ball hawking safety, roam in the center field kind of thing. And when the Steelers got him, uh, what, a couple years ago from Miami, I think the first game he had a pick six, or the first two games, and then he did he have two interceptions for touchdowns his first year with us? Um, I, I don't have a number off the top of my head, but I do remember him returning at least one to the house, and he reeled in. Um, you know, um, I don't remember how exactly how many, but he definitely led the team. I feel like I thought um, he had like seven or somewhere two. in that range. Yeah, it was the, the year he was traded from Miami. Um, he fit right in Pittsburgh. He was kind of like a, uh, he was leaving, he was like fading out. Miami wanted him to play a certain role that he wasn't comfortable playing. Mm-hmm. And it looked like for a minute he was about to be a bust. And he was one of the highest um, rated players coming out of this draft class that just happened to fall due to the, you know, p- position. Teams nowadays realize that safeties aren't as valuable as they once seem. But, I mean, the Steelers were able to trade a draft pick at the time. And uh, I think it's panned out for him. Yeah, definitely. Um, another part of that defense, uh, TJ Watt destroyed people while he was in there. And then we see the pec injury. JP, have you heard any of the injury reports on that? I'm hearing maybe October. Maybe he doesn't need surgery now. Uh, that was the latest I heard of earlier. But I don't know if you heard anything different than I have. I've heard um, initially they feared that he would miss the season due to the uh, torn pec, but from what I've heard, it's he's able to avoid surgery, and it's looking at about six weeks. Um, I personally don't want them to rush him back if that's the case, though, because that's going to be a lot of wear and tear on how he's going to push and pull linemen around, and he has a lot of injury history along with his brother, and I'm hoping that you know they're doing whatever precautions they need to in order to make sure he's 100% when he comes back. Yeah, I don't want him coming back for a game and then having to miss another six because, you know, there's a setback. I'm looking at the numbers from 2019. That's when he was traded to the Steelers. He had five interceptions that year. 2020, Minka Fitzpatrick had four. 2021, last season, he had two. And so far this year, he already has 14 tackles and an interception and a touchdown. I'm trying to see yeah, how many touchdowns. He had there. It didn't pop up on on the uh, stats site I was looking on. 
I think just one. Yeah, he he had won that and then won the following year. Okay, yeah, I was going to say, because I do remember him returning a few to the house pretty, I mean, relatively consistently in comparison to uh, other players. Well, that's kind of the the mindset I was talking about with the Ed Reed-like play. Like, when Ed Reed would pick the ball off, it, he was a kick returner. He was going the other way, and he was trying to take it to the house. Um, what, like, oh, we were talking about with Pittsburgh safeties, like, Paul Amalu was a beast safety, one of the greatest ever play. But when, when he had the ball in his hand, I don't think it was the same kind of, you know, oh, he might take it back. If Adrian Wilson was picking it off, you're like, oh, he's a beast, but he might not take it back. Ed Reed was as good of a, you know, returner as anyone. Mm-hmm. And it seems like him and Fitzpatrick are a little bit more fluid with how they return the picks. Paul Amali was a little bit of a, uh, you know, like they said, Tasmanian devil. Like he was, right. it wasn't nearly as controlled. Sometimes it looked like, it was like high risk, high reward with the way he would return. Because, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, 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 but when you see Fitzpatrick or Reed return it, it seems like it's more controlled, more fluid. It and, looks like a guy who knows how to run with the ball in his hand. And it's not like like other guys will look like, oh, that's a defensive player running with the ball. Like they look like they know what they're mm-hmm. doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and uh, Fitzpatrick's um, accolades this week earned him AFC Defensive Player of the Week. I saw that. Yeah, he... Uh, yeah, he uh, tallied 14 tackles, which is third in the NFL, and uh, the pick six. And then he also had a crucial uh, extra point block at the end of the game, as well as a pass breakup in the end zone that no one seems to be mentioning. Um, but that last series of regulation, when uh, he got flagged in the end zone for pass interference, I thought that was an iffy call. But then he made up for it um, play after. He Bengals receiver had a ball in the end zone, put right on him, and Fitzpatrick's the one that broke it up. He yeah. he hit uh, the ball instead of the receiver, and it was perfect defense. Uh, he definitely stepped it up. So did the entire Steelers' defense compared to how they played against Cincinnati last year. Like Boyd said, they gave up on the game last year, and as we both said, we kind of agreed with it from watching it. It seemed like they weren't fully into it and this was a real big bounce back this is a super bowl contending team jamar chase t higgins uh tyler boyd they brought um hunter or uh, they brought geez uh hayden hurst their tight end and joe mixon is a pretty solid running back and joe burrow is one of the best quarterbacks in the game and this steelers defense looked incredible against them and they absolutely had to because quite Quite the contrary, if you look at the offense, I mean, that defense had to play flawless in order for them to win that football game. Um, And a major reason they did was because the turnovers they were producing was in Cincinnati territory. I I think if some of these turnovers occur, let's say, deeper by Pittsburgh's end zone, I don't think Pittsburgh wins that game. And I think Cincinnati actually wins it in regulation. Yeah. It did give me some optimism, thinking like maybe if this pass rush and now Cincinnati's offensive line is not good. It's not. It's not one of the better offensive lines in the league. But if if this Steelers defense can get some pass rush, I I think the defensive backs look like they could you know hang with some of the best receiving core in in the league. Um, Sutton had an interception. He almost had another one. Um, I feel like Edmonds is playing better than he has in the past too. So. Uh, a little I, bit I was of impressed too with uh, Levi Wallace. I know he left with an ankle injury that's not um, looked at seriously. It is serious, but I think he filled in um, for Joe Hayden, and um, he played really well coming from Buffalo. 
as well as um, uh, uh, Witherspoon. They uh, Tomlin sees some promise in him, and uh, he had an interception as well. Um, we were talking about Mega Fitzpatrick, and I think he really was the star of that game. And one of the biggest plays was a special teams play, not even a defensive play. Oh, I mean, I guess defensive. But coming off that edge, JP, is that what? What do you chalk that up to? That that block? Did he just get a good jump, or is it because the long snapper? We had the backup long snapper, and it looked like. I guess it's one of those things you don't realize what you're missing until it's gone, but that snap looked like it came back a fraction of a second slower, and it was yeah. just enough for Fitzpatrick to get a hand on the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- oh, yeah, Huber, the punter, had to stretch his arms out um, in order to you know, uh, secure the um, exchange from the long snapper, and I think that was a role. I think Fitzpatrick did get a great jump on it as well, but I think there's a third element to that, and it's um, the tight end who's playing the edge there. He took the... Uh, Furthest, he took the edge rusher in that, and Fitzpatrick was able to penetrate that pressure right through the middle rather than um, making the outside guy have to loop all the way around. I think Fitzpatrick jamming his way through the middle was also a way to reach uh, the football before anyone else could, before, you know, McPherson could get his foot on the ball. I think that maybe if, uh, you know, the tight end decides to block Mecca the man coming around the edge is a little bit delayed. And I think that ball goes through the uprights. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, that first kick that McPherson had from what? 59. It looked like it would have been good from 75. That was an <laughs> absolute bomb. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that first kick looked phenomenal. So I think he, he would have sunk it from anywhere else. That's one of the best kickers in the NFL. And fortunately for the Steelers, that long snapper, also cost them on their first overtime attempt as well. So I think that, you know, just it just goes to show how important, you know, the uh, system is from long snapper to holder to kicker. So I didn't get a good look, and I, I couldn't really tell on the replay. The other McPherson kick that missed, did he just miss that, or did somebody get a hand on that? Um, It was... I remember the snap was a little bit over Huber's head, so he had to readjust and get it. And by the time he got the ball down, the laces were in, and McPherson just got a bad um, kick on it and went far left. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, so. I would assume the timing. I mean, they practice with the same long snapper and holder all the time, and it's the timing. You know, you snap it, and it's this step, and then you kick it. Mm-hmm. If that's delayed... By the time Huber was able to position the football, it was slightly like um, tilted. So by the time McPherson gets his foot on it, it's kicked at like you know it's at a much lower surface. Yeah, it it looked like it just took off at such a strange angle. Mm-hmm. And then I'm sure there was you know the pressure coming from the edge that didn't help him get there. He was probably just hoping to get the ball up and you know get back to the locker room. Do we think McPherson will have a death wish against Huber? Uh, i.e. Ray Finkel style. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm hoping not at the moment, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, this wasn't quite the Super Bowl. Um, still still week one. Um, we'll see come playoff time what comes around. But we'll, we'll see if uh, Pearson has uh, a, b- a bit of the meal in him. When did we see, uh, isn't he an ASU guy? Arizona State? Is that where the meal went? Do we remember? Meal, I uh, don't remember. Did, did they mention his uh, call? I don't. I thought they did. I thought he went to Arizona State, but uh, maybe uh, if, if I'm wrong, I I hope I'm wrong. Kind of just because that would be hilarious. JP, be great. He just went to like Arizona. 
Let me let me ask you this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do some research and see if I can find where Ray Finkel went to school. Um, when did we see the the migration? Because it was die Dan die Finkel style uh, for Dan Marina, who was the holder. We used to see the backup quarterback as a holder. Now we see it as a punter almost all the time. The last quarterback I remember seeing regularly was Tony Romo when he dropped the ball, um, literally and figuratively. When did we see this change, JP? I don't expect you to know an exact answer, but uh, I feel like we used to see the backup quarterback as the holder. And that's like around the last time I saw it too was the Romo snap that you know uh, cost them the playoff game. I think the reason why they now use the punter is because they're so used to taking a snap from far away when they line up to punt. So I think it's more of a natural thing rather than a backup quarterback who's not taking you know as much snaps out of the shotgun. So I think when the uh, Punter, punter's the perfect guy because he's used to getting a ball spun to him, you know, at that distance. So I guess the punter just naturally makes sense. But, you know, I don't know why the change, you know, or why it was the backup quarterback in the first place. Um, I'm looking this up to see uh, to see uh, Finkel's school. Uh, I don't know. No. <laughs> I, I, it doesn't say Arizona State. I don't remember. That wasn't like a suggested search from the moment you hit R.A.? It's uh, yeah. <laughs> Ray Winkle School. It said he <laughs> attended Stetson University, where he was an honors graduate from the class of 1980. He became the football kicker named the Mule, holding two NCAA records for most points in the season and distance. Halfway through the 1982 season, Finkel joined his home state, the Miami Dolphins. Now, I, f- I thought like, that's that- an impressive resume and all, but like, how about how quickly in like the police ranks he rose? Now, that, yeah, that's saying how, <laughs> uh, okay, who was committed in 84. Doesn't this entire movie take place in the 90s? Yeah, yeah, Dan Marino. I thought it was like 94, 94, 97. They have this entire thing. I'm looking. It's a villain's wiki, so who knows how accurate any of it is. Oh, it says present day 94. They made it. Oh, so I guess when he missed it, it was from the 80s. And now the current Super Bowl with Snowflake was in the 90s. Oh, okay. I, didn't, I thought the whole thing took place like the previous season. Yeah, I was thinking that too. So that makes sense. That would give him, because it said Ray Finkel was... Uh, put into the the institution or whatever he was in uh, in the 80s. So it's, <laughs> I love this. It says, full name Ray Finkel, alias the Mule, Lieutenant Lois Einhorn. I also love that, like, he doesn't wear his championship ring until he's thrown into the water and emerges <laughs> from it. All of a sudden, the championship <laughs> ring's on his finger. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> the, the whole thing is, is, yeah, it's his hobby: kissing various male coworkers, getting sex change operations, goals: escape from Shady Acres Mental Hospital, trick everyone into like, yeah, who knows? It says goals: kill Roger Predactor. Okay, this it's worth looking up this whole thing just because of how ridiculous it is. But uh, I don't want to stray too far from uh, from what we're talking about. But uh, we can confirm that Ray Finkel did not go uh, to Arizona State. But yeah, no, that's strange. I always thought it was like a modern thing, but I guess... uh, I feel like uh, it's kind of uh, giving the Miami defense uh, uh, a a free pass. 
Because I think if that defense was any good, Marino would have won a ring that way, and you don't have to blame it on Ray Finkel. Yeah, absolutely. Or or they could score more points. You know, it's it's always always the debate there. You know, I, I was uh, kind of disappointed. I was hoping Evan McPherson was going to call a shot against Pittsburgh, but I haven't heard any reports about him. You know, saying they were going to get a Week One victory or anything. He wasn't as you know confident as he was during the postseason. I guess. Did you see how surprised uh, Chris Boswell looked when he hit it off the upright? Like I feel that was a pretty that wasn't a chip shot field goal. Like I wouldn't be surprised if somebody missed that. People are like surprised at missing fifty five plus yard field goals now. Yeah, and I mean that was yeah not an easy kick by any means, and you could hear it hit off the crossbar from you know home. It was um, it, it was something because Boswell is one of the best kickers in the league, very underrated kicker, and you know. When he missed it, you could see, you know, the look on his face that he was shocked. And quite frankly, Bengals should have been able to move the ball from there and win it. But, you know, defense again stepped up big time. I kind of like having a kicker who's genuinely surprised that he missed a, like, huge kick. Like, I like that he had the confidence where he looked like, I can't believe that didn't go in. Like, he was so confident. And I felt like when the ball went off his foot, like, it was iffy. Yeah, it, it did look. I think, like, w- the weather, too, wasn't, like, perfect. Like, it was getting a little bit, like, rain out. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily sure. But even, like, the distance, like, it didn't seem like... The way it came off his foot, it was like a... Uh, it was, like, wobbling, so uh, to speak. I don't know. It, it didn't look like a clean, clean kick. Yeah, I agree. We've been talking for 20 minutes and haven't once spoken about the the Steelers' offense. So let's talk about that before we preview uh, next week against New England. But uh, what are your takeaways from the offense? Uh, they're they're going to have to start moving the ball, um, getting first downs. It was, like I said, they were putting points on the board because their drives weren't necessarily, you know, they didn't start in uncomfortable territory. Um, turnovers led them to where they needed to be. Steelers actually um, pressured Burrow 20 times without blitzing, according to NFL.com. The pressure rate was about 38%, which was a 10% increase from its average last year. Um, So, yeah, Burrow was lost throughout the day. And, you know, those turnovers led to points from the offense that I don't think otherwise would have been there. The Bengals um, held the ball for about 18 more minutes throughout the course of the game than the Steelers and ran about 33 extra plays. Um, so, you know, the Steelers are not producing the drives that they need in order to accumulate points. They're getting turnovers on defense, and then they're going four and out, or they're just phasing out after um, moving the ball slightly. They only had 4.4 yards per play. Chase Claypool led their team in rushing yards. Um, you know, I think there's just so much room for improvement. It seemed like they, they tried to run that underneath, um, underhand throw to Fryermuth, and the Bengals were there every time they attempted it. I just, I, I want to see more um, protection, first and foremost, because the Steelers' offensive line fell into the hole that every other offensive line um, in week one fell into. Um, Trubisky was never necessarily comfortable. It looked like some of the plays were being rushed, but I think that you know, when you see better play up front, first and foremost, they need to establish a stronger run game with Najee Harris. And I think that Trubisky just, you know, he needs to be looking to make better plays downfield. Offense just needs, you know, I, I was excited to see a quarterback who was slightly mobile, a lot more mobile than Roethlisberger. 
and uh, it just seemed like it was it was a very boring offense still. From the, last year. the whole Matt Canada kind of offense and for the Steelers for the last couple of years, and I, I kind of thought it was due to Roethlisberger's arm or the offensive line, but it seems like it's such an east-west offense. It doesn't seem like they go north and south at all. They don't go down the field. You see these reverses. You see you know misdirections and stuff that all goes side to side, and then they gain three yards, and then they throw it downfield kind of, and why downfield I mean 12 yards goes out of bounds, and then you see like the side-to-side shit again. I feel like when they're at their best, they take a couple shots, maybe stretch the field. I'd like to see George Pickens more involved. Um, what, what what are your thoughts on that? It's just, yeah, George Pickens only finished with um, one catch for three yards. I was expecting more from his playmaking ability. And honestly, I was expecting more in the past game from, you know, Chase Claypool. He only had 18 yards. Um Deontay Johnson was held to 55, you know, so... I thought Deontay Johnson was injured for some reason in the first half, and when I saw him later, I was like, oh my god, I didn't even realize Johnson was playing. <laughs> but yeah, he had seven catches, so he only had he had an average of under eight yards per reception. That's um, what I'm saying with, like, the side-to-side and just small plays. Like, I get it, like, get it into your playmaker's hands, and I guess try to make somebody miss and have them make a play, but, like... I feel like the defense does not respect the deep ball still. Uh, they know they could probably get some pressure on that garbage row line. It, the, the offensive line wasn't getting any push for Najee Harris. Najee Harris is one of the best running backs in the game, and what he I, I don't remember him breaking one past five or six yards, maybe one or two. And, and Trubisky's not known for you know d- downfield precision by any means. Um but I do think you have to have something just so you can respect it. Yeah, and I mean, they didn't, Steelers didn't seem like they even respected the deep game either. They didn't attempt anything downfield. They had a, Fryermuth had a 31-yard uh, grab, and Zach Gentry had a 32-catching run. I mean, that's, um what, 63 yards right there out of Trubisky's total. Um, total, he had 194. Outside of that, that's 130 yards. You know, yeah. that's just, that doesn't win in today's NFL. Definitely. Let's. Uh, anything else uh, you'd like to say about the Bengals game, or should we get into the New England, the home opener? Um, f- funny, interesting fact I found: Mitch Trubisky in his career now has gone to four and zero against the AFC North. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Mitch Trubisky. So, yeah. He's um, he's taken over for Roethlisberger. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, he just finds a way a way to win win the games in the division. That's all. Um, he he was sacked once, which is which I could, um, you know, say is a silver lining, so to speak. But he faced pressure all day. Um, Steelers dropped Burrow seven. That was the difference in the game. Bengals, if you look on team stats or, you know, anything it takes to win football games, that they won in all aspects offensively. Outside of, you know, defense came up and made turnovers. That's what we that's say what, every you know, week. Them the game. Turnover. That offensive performance isn't going to win you football games unless you're turning the ball over five times. That's how and the Steelers are going to have to stay in some of these games is with the big places, with the turnovers. And that was with a field goal on the last play of overtime. Like, And they had five under- turnovers. Like, they had five turnovers to barely squeak out a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that's what it is. Um, I, I, I need to expect more more out of the offense, just like last year. Um, defense played phenomenal. Um, I, I, I also want to give a shout-out to um, Alex Highsmith. Came up big that week for forced fumble and three sacks. Um, if Watt's going to miss some time, he's the one on the defense that's going to have to step up. Um, he'll be facing 
Um, more double teams without Watt off the edge, but I think if anyone's going to show improvement, it has to be um, Highsmith. That's where you always see, like, oh, he's leading the league. It's, uh, at this pace, he's going to have 51 sacks. Did you hear anything I said? I, no, I didn't hear anything after okay. I said Highsmith. Okay. I'll, I'll just go back to say it. That's always something you hear at this time of the year is, like, He's leading the league in sacks, or if he keeps up this pace, he'll have 51 sacks by the end of the year. It's always stupid. It's always like the first week. After week one, but yeah. Um, but no, that, that forced fumble he had was, you know, a great play. If you if you watch it, the uh, the one where Hayward recovered it out of the air, and you didn't know if it was a fumble recovery or an interception. Um, so, yeah, the Steelers disguised it well. They brought Edmonds off the edge, which forced Mixon into a double team with the guard on – um, on the safety blitzing, freeing uh, Devin Bush on a delay blitz up the middle. Highsmith's just able to beat his guy Jonah Williams on the single and get the get the strip sack. You know, Bush and Edmonds I think played a crucial role in that as well. They were being in the right place at the right time. Surprised Bush wasn't just waiting five yards downfield, hoping the quarterback would run into him for a sack. <laughs> I, I think the guard and. Joe Mixon and center decided that, um, you know, if we have to give someone a free rush, why not? Seven <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> we know he's not going to take anybody on or, you know, shut a block or actually do anything. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe that that's what the game plan should have been all along was, you know, let's just let Devin Bush rush. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, Bush, um, I would say he, he helped out on that play and made you know, that led to a turnover. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping in this, what I'm assuming is his final year here in Pittsburgh, hopefully he finds a way to, you know, stick it out and hopefully he's able to have his best season. The last thing I'll say before we move on to New England, if you watch Robert Spillane when he's in, he looks like like a statue, like his like linebacker-ready stance looks like he's, like, frozen. It looks like he's trying to do, like, the perfect posture, like... <laughs> textbook linebacker stance like it's so like robotic i mean i guess if it works for him but it's like when you're in like eighth grade and they're like getting an athletic position knees over toes shoulders over knees thing and like he looks like he's just like i don't i haven't picked up on that i'll keep an eye out well well, yeah i watched it last week on the game and i was like who's this guy who looks it looked like almost like a mannequin of a linebacker that they put out for football practice that's just like let's put this guy out in linebacker position (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and uh, there, there's a chance, you know, he could be getting more reps too this year. Um, I know, didn't he? He came off the field actually, didn't he? He may have, I but believe. yeah, he was uh, competing for you know a starting job. So I, I'll be expecting him and you know the, the sub linebacker role, I guess. And if Watt's going to miss time, I'm sure I'll have the opportunity to see more of Spillane. Yeah, let's see, and let's hopefully Miles Jack can you know do something with that linebacker core this year too. So far, mm-hmm. it seemed pretty. Pretty decent. JP, let's move along to New England this week, the home opener. Uh, what's the spread? Or uh, Who's favored, New England? Uh, last I saw, it was like a two-and-a-half-point spread in favor of New England. Yeah. Now, they lost last week. Yeah, they um, – yeah, Miami, but, like, they always lose in Miami. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is – The only uh, team. Tua's gone, yeah, two has gone to 4-0 and now against uh, – the Patriots. 
That's that's it's weird when you see those things like uh I mean I guess Eli Manning's two and zero against the Patriots in Super Bowls and stuff like that. So um I don't I don't know how good Tua and Miami are. Although I think this year they have some explosive players on the offense, but uh New England 0 and 1, hopefully I mean they're going to be looking to bounce back. Uh, I feel like New England's had you could argue maybe the worst off season as well. Like they just they're spending the most money at wide receiver in the entire NFL and they don't have anyone who can separate. Yeah. How are they doing? That, are they just paying a bunch of mid-level guys? Have, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers. Like they don't have the outside playmakers. They're just relying on Belichick and his like genius coaching style. And honestly, I, I'm interested to see what New England does this year because they they lack playmakers on both sides of the ball. But it, uh, it, Mac Jones has a back injury. If you're gonna be, if you're gonna want to do like, oh, Belichick smart, and we're gonna have these wide receivers, and have the Dion Branch, uh, Brown, and uh, Patton kind of like wide receivers that are like mid range, who we're gonna make the most out of. If you're spending the most money, then you need production from that position. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Patriots have always struggled at finding wide receivers, whether it's through the draft. You know, the best playmakers they find are usually through free agency. They haven't had any success, you know, definitely in recent years um, drafting playmakers. There was questions about uh, Cole Shane change their guard they drafted in the first round. Um, I, I don't know. It seems like Belichick might be a little bit, you know, over, you know, you feel like his head feels like it might be too big for right now. And if it pans out, I'll be the first to admit it, but Belichick's best coach of all time. And I was wrong. I just, I haven't seen it yet. From, from this team. I'm not really expecting much from New England this year. Do you think Belichick has too much control over his team and it's not going to be keeping up with the modern NFL? Do you think it'll be like, oh, I'm Belichick, so I'm going to get by on my you know career accomplishments, which he has a ton. He's an absolute beast. But NFL is constantly changing. You see these younger guys. You see McVay. You see McDaniels. You see guys like that. Um do you think Belichick is going to be one of those guys who doesn't want anybody else to have any say going forward? It seems, or like will he give some some leeway to an offensive coordinator to go do what he wants? It just seems like he's kind of fixed on a set group of core coaches that he wants to keep or bring back, and it's the coaches that will do what he says and players that will do what they're told from him to appease that system. Um, New England hasn't had a GM. It's basically been Belichick and Kraft who have worked through these things. Um, and they've had great success. It's just in this new NFL, I'm not sure if it adapts well without Brady. I mean, B- Belichick is now 18 and 19 without Tom Brady since he left. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it, it's just I, I don't know what he's you know cooking up, but I'm not sure if it's a recipe for success. Only time will tell and they're really the only team that hasn't adapted to like this new wave of practicing or preparing for games. But I mean, he was a playoff team last year and we doubted him. Um, we'll see. September is always his worst month. He's testing things out. Well, time will tell. I never want to write Belichick off. I don't like betting against him. And I think he Patriots have a real chance of beating Pittsburgh this week as well. But I mean, time will tell. Do you think Pittsburgh still has the new England kind of, 
not monkey on their back, but kind of, I mean, looking at them as, oh, this is a formidable opponent, kind of like the big brother, little brother kind of thing uh, that you always see in the NFL. Or is it just that nobody on these teams even played for them when it really mattered? Like, we're not looking at Brady versus Roethlisberger. This is Mac Jones and Mitch Trubisky. This isn't the same bitter, you know, kind of rivalry that, you know, uh, perennial playoff game that they've had. Right, before. yeah. I don't see it as like a rival, but I do see it as a Belichick versus Tomlin thing. I think like Belichick knows how to scheme around Tomlin. He's had great success throughout his career against him. And I mean, watch these games. It results in a Belichick blowout more often than not. Um, I'm just curious to see what they do because Belichick takes your best asset away, which in the Steelers case... I'm not sure what that is if Najee Harris isn't going to play or if he has a lingering um, foot injury heading into it. They can, you know, rush the passer with Matthew Judon. Um, I'm not sure they're able to protect uh, Trubisky. And, you know, I'm just I, – I don't know how this offense moves the football. And whoever's playing quarterback, it can be Brian Hoyer even for New England. I don't see them getting five turnovers and seven sacks. It's just – it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's an unlikely uh, expectation going into every game. Um, what are your thoughts going into this game? What's the, you said the spread's what? It's two and a half. Who do you like in this game? Well, the Steelers are coming off a big game defensively, whereas New England's coming off another well additional opponent, um, Miami. Um, I really think that it's a coin flip that could go either way. Um I'm leaning a little bit more towards Pittsburgh this week because they're home, and I see more superstar talent on their roster, but it's so tough to bet against Belichick. Um, Patriots are a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, Oh, one-and-a-half. Point favorite. Um, So, yeah, like I said, even Vegas has this a coin toss. I'm going to take Pittsburgh. I wouldn't bet it for my pick. I would take Pittsburgh for the home field advantage and the more superstar talent at the moment. I also don't know if Mac Jones is going to get the start or not. All right. Well, there you have it, everybody. Uh, JP, you want to get into your picks? Sure. So um, last week I did three picks, but we're back to the sports extra, so I got five picks for the week. All right. Do you want to start with number one or number five? Which way are we, do we want to do this? All right, we'll go number one. Number one. Number one. Number one. This was the toughest one I had to decide on, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to take the Detroit Lions minus one and a half against Washington. This is the first time in 26 games where Detroit is favored. Yeah, I I think (laughs) I heard that earlier. Uh, Do you remember? Do you know? Did it say who the last team they were favored against? No, it was in 2020, though. I don't have the team. I can't remember who it was, but it was somebody like, oh, yeah, they were trash. It was like the Jaguars yeah, or something. Probably the Jets or Jaguars. <laughs> um, I'm surprised it wasn't Washington again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, D- Detroit, I-, I like the home team this week, and I like what Dane Campbell is bringing. They're not winning games, but they're competitive, and I think this is a team that they'll be able to beat. Um Wentz is coming off a big game. Look for him with the inconsistent play he's had throughout his career to come back down to earth. Um, Detroit is a physical team. They don't give up. They work their butts off for Dan Campbell. 
I like Frank Ragno at center, very underrated offensive line with the tackle play they have in Decker and Pinole's soul. I like, I like them to control the line of scrimmage. DeAndre Swift was the highest graded running back by PFF this past week who had 144 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Wow. Um, Washington only had 85 total rushing yards as a team. Wentz is 0-2 in his career against the Lions. And um, Jacksonville led all teams last week in total penalty yard, total penalties. And I think that's what Washington did to move the ball. 90 total yards, and that's points on the board right there. I look for you Detroit to be the more physical team and win the game. You can't have a crappy team like the Jaguars and then play sloppy like on – Jeez, uh, I can't think of the word. Not uh, like dumb football, you know. Yeah, it, it's stupid and it's reckless. And um, I think Detroit's going to be physical but smart about it this week against Washington. I think uh, uh, Ron Rivera's been in Washington a couple years that like is kind of fading out. If they don't have a good year, I can see him being on the hot seat, potentially fired. But in Detroit, I think those players like playing ball for Dan Campbell. And I, I think they're going to win this one at home. Disciplined was the word I was looking for. You want to get to number four then? Sure, or two. Number four. No, you're right. Number two. Number two. <laughs> I went I just descending the disappointment order. in that number two. Number two. <laughs> All right, yeah, for number two this week, um, we're going to stick with Jacksonville. Believe it or not, I'm going to take Jacksonville and the points this week. Um. Jacksonville is at home against the Colts, and I'm going to take them because, well, Jacksonville has won their last seven games at home against the Colts. Colts have not beaten Jacksonville in Jacksonville since um, September of 2014. Um, And quite frankly, uh, Colts tied Houston last week. Houston actually outplayed them, and the Colts came alive last minute. Um, And Jacksonville, I think, showed some promise again. Jacksonville showed some promise against Washington that we didn't see um, from India this week. Jacksonville, like I said, was the most penalized team last week. I think they'll clean that up. And um, uh, Ricardo Blankenship was just released from the Colts, so the special teams comes down to a kick. It's going to be a new kicker there. Um, there there's, there's some questions. I think Colts, again, with a new quarterback for six years, I think, in a row now. I, I think... Uh, Jacksonville's not a great team by any means, but I think what they have, Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence, I'm expecting a better season from them considering they came from Urban Meyer last year. Indianapolis is almost like the new Cleveland with these quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, they're just evolving. There was Ryan this year, Wentz, uh, Brissett, Luck. Um, you know, all these guys are just evolving through the door, and it's like they're a good team, good franchise, but they're not finding any consistency at the quarterback position. And I feel like you can kind of tell how good a team is based on, you know, how long they've had their quarterback in a lot of situations. Yeah, Jacksonville is young, but there's a little bit more continuity there. I feel like they've spent the most money in free agency. And I I like, you know, uh, Christian Kirk's coming off a big week. Um, Evan Ingram's an upgrade at tight end. Uh, Brandon Shreef from Washington's now on their offensive line. Uh, Zay Jones, you know, they, they brought in some assets here to help out Trevor Lawrence and, I, I think they'll go toe-to-toe with the Colts. I don't know if they'll win, but I like them at home with points. All right, let's go to... Number three! Number three. Um, again, it just seems like um, the Saints continuously find ways to beat Tom Brady in Tampa, so I'm taking the Saints this week. 
at plus two and a half against the Buccaneers. Oh. Um, Saints are they're going to the Dome. Saints are the home team. Brady, since joining Tampa Bay, is 0-4 versus the Saints since joining the Bucks, And that's with a ratio of two touchdowns to eight interceptions during that time. He's been sacked 13 times, and now he has a new worked offensive line. All three guys on the interior are new this season, and they struggled against Dallas. Um, Gronk's still retired. Godwin's not going to play. And that leaves Mike Evans as your playmaker, who underwhelms every single contest against Marshawn Lattimore. And um, Marshawn Lattimore has actually shut him out twice throughout his career. And on average, Mike Evans only gets two catches and about 32 yards a game versus New Orleans. I like the home team. Jameis Winston's back and healthy. He's 9-2 and two since joining the Saints as their starter. And um, I don't know. There's just something about New Orleans that gets under Tampa Bay's skin. And I think that they're going to take this one at home. Well, there you go. Uh, number four, right? Number four? Number four. I'm going to take Cleveland this week, minus five and a half against the Jets. Um, Jets surrendered the fourth most rushing yards last year, so they're struggling to stop the run. Um, last week, Cleveland, you know, they continued to pound the rock. Um, the offensive line was able to open holes in the run game, and Nick Chubb had 141 yards on the ground. Kareem Hunt had 46 and added a touchdown. And uh, Brown's offensive line, not only are they opening up those holes, they've only allowed one sack last week. They gave Brissett an average of 2.87 seconds to throw. O-line's graded second best, according to Pro Football Focus. Look for them to control the line of scrimmage against the Jets team that's, you know, going to bring out Joe Flacco again. I like Cleveland at home. All righty, then. I can't believe Joe Flacco is still playing. And I can't believe the Jets are favored in a game. You said the Jets are favored? No, uh, Cleveland's. Oh, okay. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, minus five and a half. I like them by a touchdown this week. I think Brissett will make enough plays to, uh, you know, lean on the run game but make the throws necessary to keep the to keep the ball going. Um, Sauce Gardner, a rookie corner from the Jets, looked great. Look for him to take on Amari Cooper this week, who is, you know, almost a non-factor um, this week anyway. So look for them to move the ball and make the plays. Alrighty then, let's go to number five. Number five. Well, I'm. I think Cincinnati's going to bounce back this week, even though they're on the road with a big spread. I'm taking Cincinnati minus seven and a half against Dallas. I would buy it down to six and a half if you can, just for you know numbers' sake, easier to cover with seven. Um, but Cincinnati was simply they were embarrassed last week. Five turnovers, seven sacks, a new worked offensive line that I think's going to get rung out in practice this week. They have more continuity working together. But most importantly, uh, Dallas is more of a mess. Um, Dak Prescott's going to be out for multiple weeks. Tyron Smith's not protecting. Um, Cooper Rush, who will be under center. Um, no Connor McGovern, the left guard. So they're playing two backups on their offensive line. Um, T. Higgins, I hear, is progressing well. So he should be likely on the field. Um Cincinnati called up Cal Adamitis, a uh, hit guy and a Central Catholic graduate, to be their long snapper this week. So they'll get more continuity, like I said, snapping the ball. They're going to practice it throughout the week. I see no special teams issues this week, in my opinion. And um, the turnovers, you know, 
when they turned the ball over, the short fields the Steelers had, I'm not looking for that this week. I don't think Dallas is going to be getting seven sacks and five turnovers. Um, Trayvon Diggs, as great as he is, is overly aggressive. I look for them to use that against him and find deep routes for Jamar Chase to connect on. Cooper Rush started one game last year and played pretty well. Uh, a victory over the Vikings with 325 yards and two touchdowns. But when you look at it, Amari Cooper that week had eight catches for 122 yards. Cedric Wilson had three for 84 yards. Both guys are gone. He's going to have to get more continuity with C.D. Lamb, who um, did produce 112 yards, but now he faces number one coverage. And he had an offensive coordinator um, call him out this week, too, saying that he needs to you know create better um, opportunities for his quarterbacks, create more separation. And um, to be honest with you, I think Bengals, after being embarrassed, are going to come out with a purpose. Um, how about they played 12 drives in regulation and five of them were in turnovers? So that, that's not going to happen this week. I think they're going to rebound and come back with at least a 10-point victory. It's pretty bad when almost half your drive are turnovers. Yes. <laughs> you know, I, I'm... I'm, they're going to expand these drives, and they're going to put points on the board, I think. Um, they just need to find a way to block guys like Demarcus Lawrence and Micah Parsons, who is, I think, the best defensive player in football. I was going to say, that's so much easier said than done. I think Parsons is, I mean, like, I think TJ Watt is an absolute beast pass rusher. Parsons might be better. P- Parsons is, he's, what Aaron Donald does to the D-line, how he's hybrid, versatile, plays everything on the D-line. That's what you get in Parsons from a linebacker perspective. He can rush the edge from either side or play center field in the middle and go sideline to sideline. He's he, he's the best year two defensive player I think I've ever seen. Alrighty then, JP. Is there anything else you'd like to add with that? No, I think, um, like I said, I think Cincinnati's um, going to take a lesson from this past week and uh, look for them to come out firing against Dallas. All right. You want to run down your picks one more time for everybody? Sure. So I got Detroit minus one and a half against Washington. Jacksonville plus four and a half against Indianapolis. New Orleans plus two and a half against Tampa Bay. Uh, Cleveland minus five and a half against the Jets and Cincinnati minus seven and a half against the Dallas. Excellent. As always, JP, I only have one question for you and it's you like that. You like that. Excellent. <laughs> and, and look for that on Monday night. I'm excited. Uh, Philly and Minnesota, both two teams up and coming. That one's a coin toss in my opinion as well. Spreads this week were it was almost like college football, almost double digit spreads. I don't like those. I'd prefer to take the team for the points, but the teams get those points I don't trust. So these are my five picks for the week. Excellent as always, JP. Thank you so much. Uh, one last thing before we wrap up the show. 1-0 and for Buffalo's, or Case Keenum's Buffalo Bills. Yeah, the Case Keenum-led Buffalo <laughs> Bills 1-0. and I mean, last year they were 0-1. So, I mean, just as presence alone, I mean, Josh Allen could be, he's the favorite to win MVP according to FanDuel. And uh, I mean, those odds are probably going to decrease now that they realize the mentor that they have, you know, in his ear. JP, this is not even a joke in any way. Is there a better quarterback one and two tandem in the NFL than there is for the Buffalo Bills? <laughs> uh, they could very well be that. I mean, 
Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert are probably all interchangeable. After Thursday, everyone was saying Allen was the best, and I said, no, let's see what Mahomes does. Or no, I'm, say, I'm saying best back, starter and backup. You have to – so the backup too. So what? Who's Herbert's? Chase Daniel? That's what I was going to say next. Is I mean, I take Keenum over all those backups. Henny, yeah. uh, Chase Daniel. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know who, who ever the best backup quarterback in the league is. That's I mean, strange that some of the best quarterbacks in the league have some of the best backups. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say, um, like, Jimmy Garoppolo is the best backup, but he's probably better than Trey Lance, and neither one of them touches Josh Allen. I feel, I feel like I... I... I'd rather have Case Keenum almost than uh, Jimmy Garoppolo anymore. Mm. But maybe maybe yeah. I'm a Case Keenum biased. Yeah, maybe, I would say potentially biased. I, I, I like <laughs> Garoppolo probably slightly better, but he's more of a starter. Keenum's the backup, the best backup. All right. Well, that's like the sixth man player in the, w, or the NBA. I guess, do they have one in the WNBA? Does anybody know? All right. Well, they probably don't have six, six man. man. They probably have six women. But, um, I don't even know if they have six teams in the WNBA. <laughs> I don't know. It's like slam ball. It's the orange team. I think that's coming back. Uh, coming back this season. Uh, this season. I don't know. I saw that it was supposed to be coming back. Which slam ball is one of those things where it's like that was so cool and it's sweet and it's nostalgic. Uh, do you plan on watching slam ball at all? I, and maybe if like Ben Simmons doesn't return to the NBA and plays, like that'd be pretty cool. If who returns? <laughs> Slam ball, uh, I would say more nostalgic reasons. If anything, I'll watch it for a minute, then call it a day. Uh, yeah, I'd rather watch, like, uh, geriatric basketball and, like, bring back, I don't know, Jordan and Bird, and, but they're old. Just do a three-on-three with Rodman and stuff. Get Shaq yeah, in there, mic them all up. Yeah, yeah, I'd watch it. They should have an, a Legends game and mic it up. Or uh, a football one. They, they they do that for the Pro Bowl sometimes. But it's like the legends are always just like the legends that said they'd do it. So it's just like not real legends. Right, yeah. It's like it's never like top tier guys. Could you imagine if like Charles Woodson and like Calvin Johnson did it who are like still like in like their mid-30s and just Joe like, Namath was the quarterback? Against, like, <laughs> against Mel Blunt or whoever. <laughs> yeah. uh, that would be fun to watch though. I mean, but that's that's what it's all about. Do you remember that they had like the NFL? Was I can't remember what it was, but there's like a flag football legends. Well, thing. yeah, that's what I was saying in the in the Pro Bowl. But they also had it was during the off season. They had some kind of skills kind of competition on like an island, and they had like a handful of guys. I think Heinz Ward was the representative for the. It was a uh, gridiron stars. Oh, is that what it was called? All right, hey, go back to say it was Battle of the Gridiron Stars. Yeah, they they did, like, basketball games, like, dodgeball games, I remember, because, like, the quarterbacks in dodgeball could, like, whip the balls really hard, but they were awful at everything else. <laughs> so that was the one. I just remember there was, like, a obstacle course at the end. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I only remember, like... Uh, Brian Westbrook was in it. <laughs> I want to go back because that is like the golden era for the NFL for me. Uh, There's probably Brian Erlacher. Um, Brian Dawkins. Brian Dawkins, yeah. <laughs> everyone named Brian. <laughs> Brian Waters. <laughs> was that the guard on uh, 
on. Yeah, he uh, played for the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah for the Chiefs. I, I doubt he was selected to battle the Gridiron <laughs> Stars, unfortunately. I was trying to think of who else. Brian Hoyer, he probably wasn't in the league. Uh, Brian Bosworth. <laughs> Brian Bosworth would be perfect for something like that. <laughs> Brian Bosworth is absolutely the ideal person for that, especially. Or they could do a college one, a college battle. Let's do a combination of all the ideas we just had. Battle of the Gridiron starts with old legends, and and we can watch that in place of the six slam ball WNBA teams. Watch it in place of the Pro Bowl. Oh yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you want to watch something, I'd rather watch a celebrity game. Uh, remember they used to do like the rock and jock Super Bowls where they had like Nelly would play with Matt Leinert or whatever the hell it was. <laughs> but even now, I feel like I would rather watch Patrick Mahomes and, uh, you know, Tom Brady play each other in dodgeball than, you know, watch, you know, at least uh, it's competitive and they they're, they're putting effort in and dodgeball. It's better than watching like Tua go to the Pro Bowl and play because he was, you know, the ninth best AFC quarterback, <laughs> but he's starting in the Pro Bowl all of a sudden. Yeah. All right, JP, let's wrap this up. We've gone quite a bit. So it's been a wonderful first show back in the season. Please continue to uh, listen. Sports Extra will be out uh, probably every Wednesday uh, each week. Um, listen to the regular Poor Man's podcast. Uh, we just had the guys, Derek and Dan from Iron City Paranormal. We had Michelle from Pittsburgh Foodie Girls, who's giving away two gift cards. I believe it's a $25 gift card and a $50 gift card to do different delis in Pittsburgh. Uh, we have comedian Matt Light on next week, and uh, we'll review the New England game, probably from New England, we'll, uh, a live view. So I'll be there. Check me out uh, if you're down there. But, JP, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to do this, and we'll see you every week. All right, JP. Anything else you'd like to say to your adoring fans? Hopefully, hopefully Dan Rainey's listening. He, he's a big fan, so uh, shout out Dan Rainey if he's listening. Yeah, give a uh, yeah, big shout out for Dan Rainey. Keep keep listening. There we go. We'll, we'll wrap it up with that. JP, thank you as always. And I'm gonna say, I'm so happy. Yeah, that I was allowed to be part of your day. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. We hope you had a good time. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the show to catch the latest episodes and share with your friends. We can't promise not to embarrass you. And if you just can't get enough, follow us on Instagram at Poor Man's Podcast 412, Twitter at Poor Man's Pod 412, and Facebook. This is Pittsburgh's own Poor Man's Podcast signing off. See you next week. Woo! Woo! You like that? You like that? You play to win the game. Straight cash, homie.